If I was just going to make a statement just to tell you that God's power is great. Uh, you heard me. Some of you are kind of looking for your Bibles, making sure your spouse is awake. You know, you're, someone took a pulse. I think that's what you're doing or something. But you, you heard the statement, but it just kind of passed right by you. On the other hand, if I were to tell you that God's power is like a tremendous wave, it has strength inherent to it that is far beyond your comprehension. It has the power and the innate ability to do far more exceeding abundantly beyond it, all that you could think. If I said God's power is like a tremendous wave like this, you will not forget it. What do you think? Unforgettable? All of a sudden, you had something to compare God's power to. And you heard the gas as you saw just how immense that wave is. You see, when we come to Matthew 13, this is what Jesus is doing. He is going to give you parables. He is going to take something that you are familiar with, or certainly the people in first century Israel are familiar with, and he is going to paint pictures of what the kingdom of heaven truly is like. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so that's what a parable does. A parable takes something that you're familiar with and it casts it or it lays it alongside something that you are not as familiar with. And Jesus uses parables to teach truth. He does it in such a way because he wants you to remember. So if the next time you see a wave or you're flipping through the channels and you see someone surfing, you'll remember, whoa, God's power is like a tremendous wave. Well, the parables that Jesus tells would have been common everyday scenes. People would have been familiar with that, or they've certainly heard stories, or they perhaps experienced it. And they would remember that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Parables paint powerful pictures to reveal the spiritual realities of Christ and his kingdom. And one of the things that Jesus wants us to understand is that the kingdom of heaven will forever change life on earth. And so like we saw last time as we were going through Matthew chapter 13, Once the Jewish people had rejected Jesus as Messiah and King, and they said, hey, listen, the works that you do, you do by the spirit of the devil. You're aligned with Satan himself. Jesus changed course and he started speaking in parables to the crowds. And this way he could reveal more truth to those who are truly his followers. They could go a lot more in depth. He was concealing truth to those who are his enemies And furthermore, he's fulfilling prophecies. And so Jesus then begins in verse 24 to present parables about the kingdom of heaven. And the first one he's going to talk about, this parable of the wheat and tares, it tells us that in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to have intense challenge. Look at chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, the kingdom of heaven. What, what is that? The kingdom of heaven is God's realm and rule, specifically through his king. But God is the owner of the universe. He is all, he's the one who reigns in the universe. He reigns in the hearts of all those who are trusting Christ the king. And one day, Christ is actually going to physically reign on this earth. He came the first time to be the sacrifice for sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to redeem his people. 
and he is going to return and he will actually set up an earthly kingdom. You can read about it in Revelation and it'll be in like in chapter 20. You see it, it'll be a thousand year reign where Christ will literally reign on the earth. And you're going, well, what? That sounds kind of far fetched. Really? Well, right now, Jesus is batting a thousand on every prophecy of scripture. You can bank on it for certain. And so he's telling them, what is the kingdom of heaven like? And because the kingdom of heaven is broad, it's diverse, he's going to paint several different pictures. And the first one he does is he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is be very common. This is how people live. The most common meal that people ate was bread. And in order to have bread, what do you need? Any farmers among us? A store. No, that was the wrong answer. You need what? Wheat. That's right. You need wheat. Okay, and wheat, that makes flour. Flour is essential for bread. And so he says, there is a man, he sowed good seed in his field. But look at verse 25. But while his men were sleeping at nighttime in the dark, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Now, Jesus is telling this parable. And this would be common that everybody has, you're sowing your seed. But he says that while the men were sleeping, an enemy came and he sowed weeds. Now, your, your Bible may say tares. This is, this is actually called uh, darnel. That's the common uh, term for it. And what it is, is that it's a weed that looks exactly like wheat. In fact, as the plant grows, it is indistinguishable. You cannot tell wheat from darnel. They look exactly the same until the heads sprout. In wheat, it, those kernels come, and it's so heavy that it starts to bow down. However, with darnel, once it heads sprout, why it, ha- it produces a very small little black seed. And so what happens is that these, this plant, this, these weeds, these darnel, they are now competing for the nutrients and the water with the, with the wheat, now, you may be thinking, ah, oh, that's just a bummer to have a few weeds in your field or a whole bunch of them in the case of some enemy sowing this. But you need to know something about Darnell. It wasn't just that it wasn't helpful. It was lethal. If you were to eat those little black seeds, eat enough of them as a human, you'd die. They'll kill you. On the other hand, wheat is essential for life. And so the situation here, Jesus is telling this story. Something they'd be familiar with. Now, obviously, this practice of somebody going and sowing darnel weeds into your wheat field was so common that Rome, the Romans even had a law against it. In ancient military warfare, if they were having battles and they were trying to take over large parts of a country, they would actually send people in to sow darnel into the wheat fields because if they can destroy your crops, they can basically destroy your armies because you're not in a position to feed them. And so this was something that they'd be familiar with. And so Jesus is telling this parable. And they're all listening intently. But he says in verse 26, but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. You can't tell them apart until the heads sprout. And then, verse 27, the slaves are just, oh no. They come to the landowner and they came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Obviously, if you're you're planting crops, which farmer in here is going to, I think I'll do about 50-50, 50 good seed, 50 weeds. Anybody do that? No. That'd be, that does not make sense. You want to have as pure a seed as possible. He, the, this, this landowner made sure that he planted good seed. They're asking, what in the world's going on? 
They ask, how then, verse 27, does it have tares when you're known for planting good seed in your soil? And the landowner, verse 28, said to them, an enemy, an enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, well, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Okay, now we see it. There's wheat, but there's tares everywhere. Do you want us to start just yanking out all those tares? I mean, we'll just have a big weed party. You know you know how you have a little weeding party with your kids? And you pull out all the weeds? You want us to do that? We'll just start pulling all those tares just to count so we have just more space for the wheat? And listen to what the landowner said. Verse 29. But he said, no. For while you are gathering up the tares at Darnell, you may uproot the wheat with them. He said, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. He says, no, I don't want you to pull them up because in your process of pulling up all that darnel, you're also going to disrupt and pull up the roots for the wheat. He says, no, we're going to let them grow together. And then I'm going to send my reapers out there. They'll collect the darnel. They're going to burn that. And then the wheat, they're going to take it. And he speaks of possession. I'm, I want it in my barn. This is my fruit. I planted those seeds. This is my field. And I want that wheat in my barn. And that's how we're going to handle it. Now, everybody's listening. And this all makes sense. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. What, what does he mean? And he just ends the parable right there. And he does so for a reason you see do you remember when we were going through earlier in matthew chapter 13 remember how often he emphasized it is those who understand it's not just hearing the words of christ but you must understand them oftentimes understanding means that you got to go after it you have to ask questions you got to seek you got to invest yourself into it you got to figure this out and so jesus tells a parable that he knows that a lot of them are going to go Uh, I'm tracking with you, but what does that have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Because he wants to see who's going to come after him, who will seek more knowledge, who's going to ask him, what does this mean? So he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to face intense challenge. But then he's going to tell another parable. He's going to tell a parable that tells them that the kingdom of heaven is also going to have incredible strength. Look at verse 31. And he presented another parable to them saying, well, so he just finished one story. You've got to imagine the crowds that are like, listen to this. Like, okay, what does that mean? And then Jesus says, hey, I have another story I'd like to tell you. I'm like, what? Okay, it's shifting gears. And now he says, verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, mustard seed. Now, they're familiar with mustard seeds. Uh, the rabbis would refer to a mustard seed as like the smallest of things. And so in their proverbs and in their writings, the mustard seed was considered to be the smallest thing. Now, there are a few seeds that are even smaller than a mustard seed. And so, like, modern critics and skeptics of the Bible say, oh, see, Jesus was inaccurate there. Uh, there are a few other smaller seeds, and Jesus should have known that, being God. But Jesus isn't making a scientific statement. He's using seeds and he's using terms that were familiar with the people. And that, indeed, when they planted their gardens, when they planted mustard seed, it is a small seed. How small is it? 
Okay, well, we tried to show you a picture of that. You see that little black thing there? That's a mustard seed. Okay, you know, between it being pinched there? For instance, how many mustard seeds does it take to make an ounce? Any guess? 20,000. Okay, it's that small. And so Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to look completely inconsequential. It is going to be one mustard seed, not an ounce, not 20,000. It's going to start with one mustard seed, me. But that, when that mustard seed's planted in the garden, and that's what they do, they plant these mustard seeds, it is amazing. You think, like, what could possibly grow out of this little speck of seed? Well, mustard seeds take off, and they grow to heights of 12 up to 15 feet. They are these huge bushes, so big that even birds of the air could actually rest and put a nest in there. And he, what Jesus is saying is, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to start out really small. In fact, it's going to look like this is nothing. You're going to have me, and then I've got my apostles, and I've got a few followers. And you're going to think, like, this can't amount to hardly anything. But he says, no, the kingdom of heaven is going to be immense. It will start small, but it is going to grow. It is going to branch out. And when he starts speaking of birds landing in trees, he's speaking of prophecies that were made, even specifically about messianic kingdom, that are so great that even the Gentiles can find a place to rest and be a part of it. And so Jesus is telling them this parable about this mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven, it's going to start real small, but it's going to grow and flourish beyond anything you might imagine. Now, this whole idea of something small becoming big, uh, if you wanted like a, a, like a practical like, illustration of how something really small can grow to become real big, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, so every once in a while we'd have like these special event nights that we'd do, and we called it Bigger and Better, and all the kids knew, and they'd bring all their high school friends. We'd pack out a place, and then, you know, it was like Bigger and Better night. And so I said, all right, we're going to start off really small, all right? And so I'd put them up into teams, and I'd give each one of them a little paper clip, okay? All right? And I said, all right, now I want you back here, and I'd give them a certain time, okay? If you're late, you're, you're disqualified. But I want you back here at a certain time. Do not cause commotion in the neighborhoods, but I'm sending you out, and we're playing this game bigger and better, very politely, to explain who you are, what you're doing, and say that we are trading what we have for something just a little bit bigger or better. And would you just like to be involved in this and play along? Okay, I'm going to send you out. Let's see what happens. Okay, and so we and they'd be all fired up with their little paper clips out there. And so you go to the first house and they come. Here's all these little high school kids. Oh, everyone's getting bigger, better. You know, like yeah, a little paper clip. And they and they, okay, and they all right. Well, I'll give you a bigger paper clip. And then someone might give them a clip. And then someone might give them like a little wrap piece of sausage. And then they go to the next neighbor's house and they would keep trading this stuff up. You know, and they get a can of paint. And then someone give them a heater. And then someone give them an umbrella. And and then they'd all come back. And they'd be so fired up, and they'd be running. Sometimes they'd be carrying cans of aluminum, uh, and they just, and then, like, but it'd be amazing what they could come up with, starting with a paperclip. For instance, we were able to furnish our entire youth room with couches, because they got them, because people would just, they eventually traded up. Uh, sometimes they showed up with really nice jewelry, including a wedding ring from a wedding that, uh, from a marriage that was not working, I guess, or something. And I'm like, how did you get this? Look at this! Probably the one that was, and I was very thankful they didn't actually bring this back to the church. Uh, they actually got a car that didn't run. I'm like, 
No. I mean, well, we couldn't get it here. Like, I'm glad you didn't say, well, we're Southwest. We'll take care of it. No, don't tell them the name of our church. Do not take a car that doesn't work. You see, it all gets started with just a paperclip. There was a book that was written not too long ago called One Red Paperclip. There's a guy by the name of Kyle McDonald. And he started with one red paperclip. And over a year's period of time, he made 14 trades. And his goal was that he would get a house. You're going, what? A house? In 14 trades in exactly one year's period of time, he did. He started with a red paperclip, got a bunch of junk and traded up and up. And then his final trade, he traded a part in a Hollywood movie, some sort of small part in a Hollywood movie, for a house in Saskatchewan, Canada. How about that? And it all gets started with one paperclip. Friends, the kingdom of heaven, it's a mustard seed. It's going to start with a mustard seed. But under the power of God, it is going to grow and it is going to be immense and completely powerful. It will have incredible strength and you cannot underestimate just because it starts so small. Now, this is so important for us to know, friends, because sometimes you ever have the impression that you feel like, I don't think anything is amounting with my life. I, uh, I'm, I, you know, I think I'm rather inconsequential. I don't think I'm accomplishing anything. Uh, I'm involved in my family. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a kid. But you don't feel like anything's happening. Know this. God is accomplishing his kingdom work. And you are a part of it. Don't write yourself off. Now, I know that things look bad. I was kind of thinking of some different things that are like, oh, this is extremely troubling. For instance, uh, we're living in a society right now where people think that your moral choices are just what your personal preferences are. And that morality is based upon what you feel at the moment. And you may feel one way at a particular time, and two days later you might feel differently, and that is totally fine, that morality is completely relative. We live in a society that still, this is one of the great blights upon our country, we still kill babies for personal convenience, and the sake of women's rights. We're right now, we got three states that have what is called physician-assisted suicide, which means your doctor can violate his Hippocratic oath, and if you would like him to help you kill yourself, in those three states, he could do that. We live in a world that radical Muslims seem to be gaining in power, taking over countries. I mean, look how fast the landscape is changing. I mean, it's like almost every day new opportunities are coming for just total dissolution. And then to make matters worse, I mean, look at the state of the church. Let's look at America's church. Complacency. uh, Consumerism. It's become commonplace. Christianity in America is being reduced to a club. And it's like, It's losing its effectiveness. We have lots of people that are followers of Jesus, so to speak, only when it's convenient. And you start to lose hope. But guess what, friends? You know what's happening? That mustard seed of the kingdom, it is sinking even deeper roots. And yeah, we're facing some tough times here. But I tell you, around the world in different places, and you look in in Asia, you look at what God is doing in Africa I mean, the kingdom of heaven is just growing and developing and flourishing. And do not lose heart. The mustard seed of the kingdom is sinking deep roots. And it will have and has incredible strength. Now, let me just tell you one other parable that Jesus gives you. 
He wants you to also know that the kingdom of heaven will have immense influence. Look at this next one, verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Okay, does anybody know what leaven is? Yeast, yeah, that's right. All right, the bakers among us know what this is. This is good, all right. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Now he's, now he's totally changing it up again. He's got a new story, a new parable. Now they'd be very familiar with this. Uh, this. Okay, so like you put yeast into bread, and, and what happens? As it gets mixed up with the dough, it causes the bread to rise. If you don't have yeast in your flour and water mix, it's called what? Unleavened bread. Okay? But the yeast, once it gets mixed up with all the dough, it actually uh, permeates it, and it causes it to rise and to grow. And so he says the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. It's going to be internal. Now, see, this was something that was that was needed to be understood. Now, he says, okay, uh, my Bible says it's like uh, kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and hid in three pecks of flour. Uh, a peck is about a little more than 16 pounds. So he's talking about 50, a little less than 50 pounds of, of flour. And that would be enough to feed about 100 people. And what he's talking about is that leaven, it's, there's a woman, and she kind of kneads that dough, and that yeast gets all spread around in that dough. And what it does is it causes it to rise. And the kingdom of heaven is going to be just like that. It's going to be like yeast. And it's going to spread and be kneaded in this dough, but it's going to cause an internal rise. It's going to cause a transformation. There's going to be a pervasive, internal, unseen power with that yeast that is going to cause tremendous internal growth That is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, the people generally were expecting that Messiah would introduce a kingdom that would be political and that would be powerful and that it would be a military kingdom and that this Messiah would reign and rule. He'd be like David. But what what God wants us to understand and what Jesus is giving us these parables to help us understand is that the kingdom of heaven is going to start internal. It's going to bring about internal transformation. He's going to start working in the hearts and the lives of his people. And one day, yes, there is going to be a physical kingdom with the king himself reigning. But Jesus wants you to know that it all gets started with your heart. Now, this is something that you and I need to realize. We, we oftentimes get the idea that we want to just see things that establish like the kingdom of heaven. And there are physical things that we can see. For instance, there's church buildings. You're in one right now. There's hospitals. There's mission organizations. They have buildings. But don't, don't get confused. Those things are needed for missionary and ministry platforms. But the kingdom of heaven is God's work in his people's hearts. It's internal transformation. God is producing fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. These are fruit that is coming from your life because you're part of the kingdom. It's like the yeast is being brought into your life and it's growing and being manifest. And that's what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't want you to stay in a state of unleavened bread or, well, I grew a little bit when I first became a Christian. That pretty much kind of stabilized and not moved forward. He wants you to grow and to flourish like yeast in dough. And like, for instance, when the, when the first missionaries went out, like Paul, 
When he, was like in, when he writes a letter to First Thessalonians, that was the second letter he wrote, he noted this. He says, I can see Christ at work in you. Let me tell you how. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope, faith, love, hope, they're being manifest in your life. It indicates the growth of the kingdom in you. And so Jesus is painting these parables and these pictures so that you will see what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is so important, this parable of the leaven, that when you think of the mission statement of Fellowship Bible Church, this is what drives it. The mission of Fellowship Bible Church, if you're new here, is to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. A life of loving God, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world. Christ's life being lived out through his people. It is the manifestation of the kingdom. It is the leaven being spread and growing and developing and permeating his people in such a way that it is obvious. And that's what God desires to do in your life. Create growth that is obvious. Growth because you're connected with Christ the King. And so he gives us these parables so that we'll see and understand what does it look like to be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew then kind of has like a little aside here. He writes an editorial remark, and I, want, I don't want you to miss it, because there's some folks that are going to be pretty confused about what is Jesus saying, especially about that, that weeds and the wheat, tares and the wheat. What, what did that mean? And so notice in verse 34, Matthew once again accentuates Jesus fulfills what is written about the Messiah. Verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. He quotes from Psalm 78, verse 2. Asaph is the choir director in Israel, and he wrote this. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And what Matthew wants us to understand is that Jesus is going to be teaching truths about the kingdom. Just, and he's going to do it in parable form, just like Asaph, when he wrote his introduction to Psalm 78, which is one of the largest psalms in the Psalter, he talks about that I am going to teach stories about your history, and I will do it. He even uses the Hebrew equivalent word for parable. I'm going to do it through parables. I'm going to teach you about your history. I will do it through story. And Jesus is going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. And you know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it in stories so that you and I will not forget. He will do it in a way that's memorable, meaningful, things that we could call to mind. And it's meant that as we go through our lives and we see these different scenes, we're reminded once again of Christ and his kingdom. And so there's obviously some confusion about what's going on here with this this parable of the wheat and the tares. And so look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. So you see the scene. Here's all the crowds that are gathered around. Jesus gives these series of parables, and, and then he walks away. And he goes back into the house. This is likely Peter's house. And this is done for, with intention. Because those who are his disciples... There's going to have a yearning and a desire to understand. You see, if you're not one of Christ's people, you're not a follower of Christ, you're not one of his disciples, you're not one who learns from Christ and follows him, when you hear things like these parables, you know, wheat, weeds, I don't know, mustard seed, what's that? I put mustard in my hot dog. Lemon, bread, 
Yeah, I think the wife made some bread or something. What? Mean, ah, to care less. Means nothing to me. And you walk away. But you see, Christ, when he enters into your life, he brings about transformation. There is a hunger and desire to know him and to understand his word. It is one of the hallmarks of genuine faith that there is a desire to grow and to know Christ, to understand his word. And so when Jesus walks away, it's with real intention because he wants those who are his own to seek him out. Like, hey, what did you mean by that? You didn't make it real easy. You didn't just put it like little, real, simple little steps there for us. What did this mean? And so that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 36. He leaves the crowds. He goes into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, would you do us a favor? Would you explain to us the parable of the tares of the field? I mean, this is eating us up. What, what did you mean by that? I, we, don't, we don't get it. Can you help us out? And so then Jesus begins an explanation. He said to them, let me tell you what's going on here. You know, the, verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The son of man is Jesus' most common title that he gives himself. It speaks of the perfect man, man as he's intended to be. He is, he, when he calls himself the son of man, he is speaking of a man without sin. Furthermore, it is the, the second Adam. The first Adam led the humanity, the humanity into sin and to death. The second Adam, Christ, brings life, resurrection, transformation. And when he calls himself the son of man, if you spend any time in the Old Testament, you know like that is the key phrase for Messiah. Like you read the book of Daniel, like son of man, and you know it. The Jewish people, every time Jesus called himself the son of man, they're going, you're calling yourself the Messiah. You're calling yourself God. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says the son of man, he's the one who sows the good seed. And then he says, and I don't want you to miss this, because a lot of folks in the church, including people that write Bible commentaries, have missed this. Look at verse 38. And the field is the world. I point this out to you because a lot of people think that the field is the church. And the idea is that, well, in your church, you're going to have some good seed and you're going to have some bad seed. But you all live together kind of idea. No. What is the field? The field is the world. You see, this world it indeed is my father's world. He owns it. He created it. He owns it. And it's in this field that he is planting good seed. And so he says, what is that good seed? As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. So the good seed are the sons, those who are the children, those who are a part of the kingdom of God. Who plants them? Who, who made them? God did. He plants these these seeds, these sons of his kingdom, and that, that speaks of children, into his field, which is the world, and he plants them all over. He owns it. He has the right to do it. And he says, I'm going to cultivate ground. And some places are going to be really fertile, and you're going to have all sorts of wheat, and some, well, I'm going to put a little bit of wheat here and a little bit there. But then he also says, and the tares, that's that darnell, the, they are the sons of the evil one. Remember about darnell, it looks exactly like wheat. You cannot tell it apart until when the head starts to mature. Wheat produces fruit that produces food that can actually replicate itself. Darnell, on the other hand, it produces that little black poisonous seed 
and any who eat it die. And then he says, and you need to know that the enemy, verse 39, who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So the enemy who sows the darnell, it's Satan himself. If you're like kind of puzzled, am I involved in some sort of spiritual war that may be going on? The answer to that is absolutely. There is something intensely spiritual and a warfare that's taking place that you and I oftentimes have very little comprehension. But Jesus wants you to know in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be a great war that will take place. And he says, the one who sowed this is the devil. He's the evil one. Now, I want you to understand something. Satan always works through deception. He is the great imitator. He works through counterfeit. So remember like when we were talking about the parable of the sower and the seed that landed on the road? What happened? The birds just ate that seed up. And remember Jesus said, who is that? It's the devil. He snatches away the seed so it simply cannot sprout. But if Satan cannot take away the seed, then you know what else he does? He has other means. He has other strategies. He is in a war. His, his major strategy is through imitation. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. The enemy who sowed them these seeds is the devil. And he is saying Satan works through counterfeit. And that is how he works. He's got a counterfeit gospel. And it's pretty broad. Jesus said it is the broad road. And there are many who are on it. The gospel of Satan is anything you want it to be as long as it's not submission and faith in Christ. And if you want, you want to call it a church, you want to call it whatever you want, it is totally fine. But Satan has a counterfeit gospel. Satan has counterfeit religion. And it comes in every stripe. It could even be the irreligious. He has counterfeit churches filled with people that truly don't know Christ, but they want to call themselves a church. It works. They do it. They get some sort of tax exemption from it. And so they and they and they're counterfeit, though. Almost they may be completely filled. They may even have be led by, quote unquote, pastors or whoever, spiritual leaders who don't even know Christ. Who's at work here? Satan. He's got he, he Satan emphasizes counterfeit so great that in the book of Revelation, he has a counterfeit trinity. You have Satan, who is the dragon, and then you've got a beast that comes from the earth, and he's got this fatal wound that is healed. Or excuse me, he comes from the sea, and he's got a fatal wound that is healed. And then he's got another beast who is like the Holy Spirit who draws people to this other antichrist, and he sets up this counterfeit. And you can read about it in Revelation 13. He is seeking to deceive. He is seeking to imitate. And he's seeking to draw people away from the truth. And there is something intensely spiritual that is going on here. It's a warfare. And so Jesus says, it's out there. And you want some examples of it? Like, for instance, counterfeit Christ-denying systems like Unitarianism, Christian science. Heard about that? It's neither Christian nor is it science. You've got Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism. You've got the Unification Church, the Moonies. But you've got folks that are calling themselves Christians and have, quote unquote, churches as well, who really are not yielded to Christ. It's all about gaining power and personalities. And Jesus said, you know what? Satan plants 
those kind of darnell seeds. And he says, the enemy, verse 39, who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And so he says, there's going to be a day where I'm going to separate the wheat from the weeds. So verse 40 says, so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. What Jesus is doing is he's telling, listen, justice and judgment will come. But you who are sons of the kingdom, you who know me, who follow me as king, who worship me, you will have to coexist and persevere in a world that is going to seek to sap your strength. And it'll look and it's going to look messy. See, a, a field that is overthrown, oversown with Darnell is going to look like a disaster. And yet you've got wheat and you've got weeds in the same row. He says, you know what? There will be a day where I will take care of this. So he says, verse 41, the son of man, speaking of himself, he says, I will send forth his angels. He will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. That is anything that leads anybody into sin. And those who commit lawlessness, those who will not submit to the reign, the rule and the laws of Christ, and he says, verse 42, I will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says, and then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what Jesus is saying is, you and I, we're going to live in a world where at the same time the kingdom is flourishing because it's growing like leaven in our lives. It is producing strength. At the same time, we're going to be surrounded by those who are, are going to be the antithesis of wheat. And you and I are not the judges. Jesus didn't leave us here to clean house on the quote-unquote non-believers. Anytime the church has ignored Matthew 13, specifically this parable and Jesus' explanation of it, it has led to tremendous havoc. In fact, we're paying a serious price for it right now. You heard of something called the Crusades? Killing Muslims in Jesus' name? Taking over the land back? You think that was a pretty effective strategy for reaching Muslims? Do you, wonder, do you want to understand why there is such great hostility among the people of Islam, Muslims, against Christians, in part it has to do with the violation that we did not do what the master said. We took matters into our own hands. Just yesterday I was talking with a guy. He was telling me about it. He was, had a conversation with his, a Jewish friend. And he says, this Jewish friend is telling him why most Jews hate Christians. I mean, it comes down pretty simply. You killed our people and you did it in Jesus' name. What happened? Well, obviously someone wasn't listening. Or let me rephrase that. Many weren't listening. Jesus says, I will take care of it. But you persevere. And one day justice will be coming. I will judge. And you need to know this. If you got the attitude like, I don't care, whatever, when I die, die, just bury me. Sing some nice songs. Have a party. Drink something in my name. You are totally mistaken. You will face a horrific end apart from you knowing Christ. He says he is, there is going to be a place they go that is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is where the symbolism breaks down. 
You see, the beauty of the gospel is that God takes Darnell weeds and he turns them into wheat when you turn from your sin and trust Christ. God is in the process of bringing people from the domain of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of the beloved son. And he does so through wheat who are fulfilling the purposes in which God has left us here. We're here not only to bear fruit to the glory of God, but part of that fruit is to bring the gospel to those who are in need. Do you know he's planted you right where you're at in your home? Yeah, I know your home is really difficult and your job. I know. People at your job, you're like, oh, man, I'm the only Christian here and they hate my guts. And okay, I know that. And you're at school. I know that it's tough. And to stand up and be a Christian, man, you're in a very strict minority. It's not popular. But the Lord himself has planted you. And he wants you to bear fruit where he has planted you for his glory. Fruit in your character. Fruit that comes from that leaven of his kingdom rising up where you love the unlovable. You seek justice for those who are being oppressed. You care for the broken. You are reaching out to the poor. You are giving joy and love and peace and encouragement. You are laying yourself down for the sake of another. That is why God has placed you here. To know the gospel, to live the gospel, to bring the gospel to the people in need. You and I, that's why we're here. And he is using these parables to wake us up. To give us a picture that we'll never forget. That we will accomplish his purposes in our life. You are not where you are at by accident. He has you right where he wants you to bear fruit in his name. So, how in the world, though, are they going to tell well, these reapers at the end of the age, what are the, who are the real believers and who are not? I mean, think of it. There's folks that know the right songs. They've got a Bible in their house. They quote a couple Bible verses if they need to. But they truly don't know Christ. How is it that there's going to be this great separation? Well, pretty easy. Go talk to some of our farmers. How do you know the difference between wheat and Darnell? Well, I'll tell you. You look at the nature of the plant, and you look at the fruit that it produces. It's that simple. And so it will be at the end of the age. There is going to be a horrendous judgment for those who do not know Christ. But for those of us who know him, we even presently experience the joys of being in his kingdom. And we have a job to do. And he says here in the text, notice what he says. When this takes place, there will be weeping, speaking of great sorrow and brokenness and gnashing of teeth, which speaks of pain and this furnace of fire. But he says, but the righteous, verse 43, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears, let him hear. Listen up. So Christians, you know what? We're not on this earth to match the culture. We are on this earth to manifest the character of the king. To bear fruit in his name. To reach out with the gospel of grace to a world apart from Christ. That will perish. And until that statement sinks into the depths of your heart, we will stay unmoved. But once that leaven of the kingdom takes root, we see we must go. We must send. We must try to engage our family members and our loved ones and our neighbors and, yea, even our enemies. Because Christ is king and he is the only way to life. So you see... When he talks about the righteous will shine forth, guess what? The righteous are already shining. 
Have you ever seen those uh, those satellite images? And they've also taken when they fly spacecraft up into space, you know, about 500 miles away, and they take pictures of the Earth. And if it's if it's daylight on the Earth and the sun is shining on the Earth, it, the cities all kind of look like like gray smudges. But at night, at night when you see it, when it's night on Earth, all of a sudden you see all these lights. You see the presence of, of humanity. You see spectacular, spectacular evidence of our existence and distribution. And you see how the light is changing the environment. Friends, that is what's taking place now. You and I. When we know Christ, you're here today and you sing worship songs. It's like a light shining. When you give of yourself, when you care, when you pray, when you encourage, when you give of your resources, when you... When you are willing to do something on behalf of Christ, to do the good works that Christ intended to accomplish in your life before the beginning of time, we shine. We are shining at present, but one day God will take all the darkness away. And like the text says, verse 43, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. It's like there will be no darkness, and it's just a life of Christ just being emanated for our life, a life of worship, Joy, awe, confidence in Christ. You see, the kingdom of heaven is to forever change life on earth. And that's what's happening even now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the amazing clarity of the gospel of the kingdom. How you have given us pictures that we would understand what your kingdom is like, what you're accomplishing giving us insight, clarity, and Lord, we ask for even greater understanding because you've made us disciples of your Son. And we are not just satisfied to hear, Lord, like the disciples who kept coming and asking questions. We want to know more because we want more of your life being expressed from our own. So, Father, thank you for the joy it is to know Christ, to be a part of your kingdom. And, Father, if there's someone here today who has never put their faith in you, would they just pray with me and say, Lord, I right now, I, I turn from my sin, my self-centeredness. I finally understand. I understand that Jesus is indeed the king of the universe. And that is why he has come. He has come to rescue his people. That's why he died. He died in my place, I believe. I turn. I trust. And Father, on the basis of your word, I believe that I have eternal life. Because I'm trusting in your son. And Lord, for all of us, may we understand and think often about these parables. For they're meant to shape our life. For we who know you are sons of your kingdom. Sons and daughters meant to shine glorious light for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.